This show is sponsored by IdealWorkspace.com, which promotes a healthier way of working through their adjustable standing desk. Check out their latest smart adjustable standing desk at Altizen.com. A-L-T-I-Z-E-N.com. Welcome to Analyze Asia, the podcast dedicated to dissect the pulse of business, technology, and media in Asia. In this episode, I speak to Ben Beharin from Creative Strategies and Tech Pinions in a two-part episode on the impact of Google I.O. and Apple WWDC 2017 on Asia. In the second part, we continue our discussion on Apple WWDC announcements, the impact of AR Kit, and whether WeChat can break the mobile OS layer of both iOS and Android in China. Welcome back with me, Ben Beharin from Tech Pinions and Creative Strategies. And of course, we, with him, it's never about one part, it's always two parts. So in this second part of the conversation, I want to talk to him about Apple WWDC 2017, picking up from what we have already discussed about Google, Google I.O. 2017. So Ben, what are the key announcements in Apple WWDC 2017 this year? Yeah, there was a number of big announcements. Interestingly, WWDC was very, very different this year. WWDC is not typically a hardware show, yet this year there was a lot of new hardware. You know, I think, you know, just starting on on the Mac side, Apple announced a range of updates to the Mac line. But more importantly, they sort of teased, if you will, this iMac Pro that has all these interesting components can be built up to, I think it was eight processors. And that was, you know, just an interesting announcement by itself, because you know there'd been chatter over the past, you know, five to six months that Apple was really not prioritizing the Mac anymore. And people were asking questions like, if I'm a Mac Pro user, what do I do? Apple doesn't care about me anymore, etc. And so I think Apple kind of made a statement that said, no, you know, we still do care about our pro users where we've been working on a product for a couple of years. And here it is tease. And so I think They did a lot to reassure the Mac community that they are still investing in the Mac as a platform and they are still interested in supporting their pro users and giving them what they need. So that was some significant on the Mac hardware side, but also, you know, they they announced and teased sort of this this HomePod, right? This this smart connected speaker that's not really sort of positioned as an Amazon Echo or Google Home competitor, even though it it, it will be likened to that and there will be features. But it, it was honestly, you know, positioned as just the best kind of whole home or whole room audio experience for music that you want to listen to. And so that's a significant point because most people use something like an an Amazon Echo or a uh, Google Home to play music. That's the predominant use case. So Apple is creating the HomePod and attaching it to a value proposition, which is the primary thing that people do with these smart speakers. So it doesn't really need to necessarily compete on the intelligence side because that's not the mechanism or the driver for you know Alexa or Google Home. Those are nice features, but I think it, it, it'll try to compete some of them, but it doesn't really have because right now people are buying these and just basically using them to play music. So Apple fits with where the market is today, but obviously then they've got grander ambitions for where the HomePod can go with Siri integration, perhaps connecting that to Apple TV, having this sort of whole you know connected bit of, of bringing Siri to that and starting to add levels of intelligence with their AI, these now sort of endpoints in your home, which is the uh, HomePod is a, a pretty big announcement again it was rumored so we were sort of expecting that there would be this smart speaker and that both and that won't come out until um, until december and then obviously there was a bunch of software updates you know both ios is sort of getting a getting a facelift you know ios for ipad has taken some pretty significant steps forward i've been running 
iOS 11 on my iPad, and, and, and no doubt it's becoming much closer to kind of an all-day computer for people who might want to, to look at a, at a notebook uh, replacement. But the big thing, I think, was was really ARKit. I mean, I don't think I've seen this level of excitement from Apple developers in some time, and, uh, and a lot of the experimentation that's going on right now. We've seen some stuff behind the scenes that some really big developers are doing with ARKit. It's, 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 it's kind of one of those things where we thought AR was interesting. We've all tried the use cases, you know, from measuring our kitchens to sort of overlaying, you know, filters and things in your living room, right? We've seen some of the commercial applications that, you know, Ikea or paint companies have tried to just make your world, show you what your color looks like of your of your room. This kind of stuff is going well beyond that into things like gaming, into things like levels of utility and productivity and, and manipulating real world objects. So it's just, just really interesting stuff. But the point was, we've never really had augmented reality. We've talked about it. We've given shades, examples, and use cases. We've never had a robust, you know, of developers all of a sudden go and try AR stuff. What we're on the cusp of is, is we're going to see the iOS community and go do stuff that we've never thought of before. And that's really, right, developers, my whole point before, that platforms are the new conglomerates is really dependent to those who invest in the platform. And in the case of iOS, that's software developers. And so software developers are the reason that iOS compelling, iOS is, will remain as a conglomerate, if you will, and so that platform is dependent on developers to take it forward. So I think we're about to see, honestly, probably one of the most interesting software eras that we've seen since the beginning of the smartphone, when apps were just sort of coming out and reinventing how we thought about software on and now in a mobile use case. I think we're going to see a, a whole new era of, of apps and innovations and business models come out around augmented reality. And we're, it's, it's, it's going to be a, you know another gold rush, if you will, or another innovation around software. And we really haven't had it in some time. It's pretty exciting. And I think Apple's Apple's got a pretty big lead here, as as I've mentioned, for a variety of reasons. But but the, the key is that, like I said, you're you're going to see just a flurry of innovation around software. Not all of it's going to work. Some of it might be terrible ideas, but some of it's going to be really really interesting. And I think that's what's exciting is that you can kind of see a new software development era around AR, and we're on the cusp of that. That's going to that's going to bring some stuff we had before. So it's exciting in software, particularly around around iOS. And I think that's going to be the case for you know again two two years or longer. Why has Apple chosen to target the home port in the sound speaker space, which is where Sonos is, and instead of downplaying the Siri component, from your opinion? Well, so I, I think the key is that, again, I don't think people are buying the Echo or a Google Home for the components. They're not buying it for the, the, the smart assistants. They're buying it because it does a couple of things, right? It, it's an easy way to interact with a device to set timer, you know, to play music, to check whether, I mean, just really basic stuff people do with these, with these speakers. And so the, the intelligence part is not really the, the motivator, it's something else. And music is the predominant one. And music is also the one that Apple's the strongest in because they can tie this to Apple Music. They built a speaker that's just of amazing quality. I mean, it just, it's, it's so much better this and and obviously the echo and you know the even the demo that i got was was incredible i've done demos with companies we've worked on before and um, and even just high-end sound studios that 
that I've been to. And, you know, you, you what you're listening to and kind of what you're hearing, you've got, you know, eight different speakers, each designed to play a different track of that audio to make it feel like, you know, you're just there, you're immersed in the sound. And I've done these demos and, you know, 10,000 and higher, you know, sound systems thing was on par with that. I mean, it was crazy how good it sounded for less than $400. So they're going to have a, a really, really clear value proposition because people are getting these things and they're they're mostly playing music on them. And so Apple's fitting right into where the market is today, what, what the what's driving the value proposition and the predominant use of smart speakers today. Then they can go from there as Siri improves, as I assume it will. It was probably one of the things that I wish they had done, talked more about at WWDC is like, where's Siri going? How's Siri getting better? They spent very little time on that, which was disappointing. But getting these endpoints, the, the home as an endpoint that can evolve as Siri gets better, they, they just got to start somewhere. And they're starting with what the market wants today, which I think is really smart. But they're doing it with a speaker that's significantly better than so much that's out there. Honestly, better than than thousand dollar plus sound systems as well. So it's going to be a lot of value for music playing, and then it evolve into other things as well over time. Given that the complaints from the Apple base on their Mac Pros, they have also significantly beefed up their iMacs, MacBook Pros, and related computers. So do you see a strategic shift from Apple in how they differentiate between the iPads and PCs? Well, I think they're you know, they, they've always been clear they've been dedicated to the Mac line. I, I think just no doubt, though, that the Mac itself probably be viewed as a product line that's moving upstream, meaning that if you're a professional or so somebody who does a lot with whether it's you're in, in, in high end video production and you just you just require a lot of performance or, you know, you're spending all day doing spreadsheets, that's just just stuff that would, you know, you we'd classify you as kind of a of a pro user in terms of the workflows that you do, then that's that's really who the Mac is catering to. Now, everybody else who's beneath that who doesn't necessarily need the demands of a high-end machine, who's not entrenched with these sort of sophisticated workflows of producing types of uh, of something. Those types of customer ad is completely different. But Apple wants to make sure that, that iPad, you know, it, can cover a little bit more into the sort of productivity use cases, workflow use cases that somebody who spends all day using a computer will do. They don't want to lock themselves out of that, which is where iOS is growing into. But there's going to be a top line bar, if you will, that iOS just doesn't go past. And if you're that type of a user who needs more than where iOS can go into in terms of just all day computing and productivity, then that's where the Mac is for you. So I think what Apple did was not necessarily encroach what iOS can do all the way up into the pro area where I think the Mac is positioning, but they did extend its capabilities a little further toward what a traditional PC user would probably regularly do or, do or want for multitasking, for example, just more sophisticated flows. But, but they only took it so far. And the Mac is the product that goes beyond that. I think they're helping to distinguish that. Just the bottom line is uh, the group that I'm talking about that doesn't do these pro-like things on a regular basis or ever is much larger of a market than those who do the pro stuff. So in this case, Apple's positioning the iPad for a lot bigger of a market than, than the Mac is, and they're extending that by, by starting to creep into some PC 
you know, Windows PC areas as well by going after traditional Windows PC users who, again, aren't pro users, but might be a very good candidate for an iPad Pro with iOS 11 when they start thinking about another machine. So point being, I don't think they, they're trying to disrupt the Mac. I think they're just trying to go after a market that's much larger than where they're positioning the Mac. And that's really where they're going with, with iPad and then iOS on iPad. So iOS 11, as you have already tried, seems to be focused on making the iPad more o Mac OS like with files and drag and drop. Where do you see Apple's direction with the iPad Go then? Well, I think they're, they're really just targeting you know, what we call your, your more mainstream consumer which is what sort of I was describing as is not, you know, your pro user, somebody who knows they need all this performance and all these sophisticated workflows. They're going after your, your more mainstream consumer, perhaps even, you know, your college student who's just going to write Word documents, use, needs the Internet to search, but really wants all the value of the iOS ecosystem from an app standpoint on a regular basis. So I think that they're, again, right, the, the, the iPad sort of like, you know, peaked in terms of its install base, you know, somewhere around 300 million units, which is not small. If you just look at the overall consumer notebook market, it's around 800, sorry, consumer PCs, including desktops and notebook, it's around 800 to 900 million units. So, you know, they, they took, you know, almost a good quarter of that, a little more than a quarter of that with just the iPad install base. But again, people, that, those 300 million units were not, these are not people's primary computers. Most of those people still had a Mac or a Windows PC notebook. I think they're trying to encroach into that area so that that big base of people who aren't your pro users, who don't have to workflows, and they can grow that market from 300 million to 500 million or whatever that type of user is that doesn't need all of the things. The, the PC is essentially overkill. A Mac and a Windows PC is just overkill. They're going after that market, which I think is big. We have no idea how big, but I think it's much bigger than it is today. So the mainstream users really were they're attacking. You talk about the AR kit from Apple and it seems to have generated a lot of interest from the developers. So and I didn't see a lot of things going into the VR side. So where do you see Apple's AR or even VR roadmap heading into uh, 2017 then? So VR was interesting. This is another sort of additional point to kind of this hardware question we were having around Macs because they also did an interesting thing at WWDC where they announced support for external GPUs or sort of as we call them, eGPUs. So these are GPUs that exist in their own sort of casing. So you don't need to build them or install them into your desktop tower or if, if you've built PCs and I have a number of these, you know, sort of giant gaming ribs, right? You, you, you can get a big card from NVIDIA or AMD and you can just slot them in the slot and all of a sudden you've got latest generation GPU computing for whatever you do. They announced that those, that they're going to bring eGPU support to really the Mac line, which I think is really, really interesting, actually, because if you look at sort of the complaints of the Mac Pro, you know, and the kind of the, the trash can design that people complained about, like, the GPUs were embedded into that. And while there were many of them, you could not replace them. So five years later, three years later, you want a new GPU, you're stuck with the four or five year old GPU. And so that's the benefit of expandability, which has always existed in, in these giant desktop towers so that you can just plug in the new, newest GPU and have kind of the latest generation of, of software and visual graphics and whatnot at your fingertips. So by bringing eGPU support, 
support to the Macs, what it means is that you could technically have a Mac notebook and go out in the world and do all the wonderful things you want to do, come back to your desk system, plug that eGPU in, and all of a sudden get tremendous amount of computing power. So it's essentially upgradability through modularity, which I think is a, is a fascinating thing. And, and this has been a trend we've been talking about for a while. We just, this is the first time we've really seen it come to fruition in a real in a real interesting way. So eGPU support, that basically means that they can now support VR. And so there was a demo that we had at WWC where they're using this traditional Mac notebook. It's connected to one of these external GPUs and it's working with an HTC Vive. And so now all of a sudden on Mac, the Macs themselves, I mean, again, no notebook can have at this point the power in terms of the GPU to run a sophisticated high-end VR system. And it's going to take a couple of years for GPUs to get to the point where they'll fit in something as small as a notebook. So, but the point is that you'll always have the ability of expandability through GPU, through this external GPU to buy whatever, you know, the brand new GPU is slotted in this machine and it's going to work with, with your notebook or, or your iMac for, for that matter. eGPU supports a really big deal because it keeps them modern in a hardware standpoint for things like VR and wherever that goes, or even just sophisticated workloads by just letting you plug a, a sophisticated GPU of your choice into the computer that, that you have and use every day, and that takes advantage. So, so Apple's not really doing something on their own sort of quote-unquote VR-wise, but they are making sure that they've got hardware that supports what others might be doing in VR. Now, AR is really, really where they're focused. And I think that's become clear with AR kit that they're going to try to take these augmented reality experiences mainstream through the phone. And then years from now, once that's a regular behavior that we know, you know, when augmented reality makes sense, how to use it, it's ingrained to a plethora of apps that, that from that standpoint, it makes sense to say, sure, now I'm ready to put on some glasses that gives me that experience, but I had to hold my phone up to have it. Now it gives it to me in something that I don't need to use my hands for. So you can see the roadmap to AR and then maybe some hybrid of AR VR experiences of us putting something on our face. You can see how down the road that will make sense, but but the path to that is going to go through the smartphone. And that's why I think it's interesting that they started on AR from that standpoint. And I don't think they've got anything with true kind of VR up their sleeves in the short term, because I think if you just listen to Tim Cook's commentary and others, AR seems to be really where they're focused at the moment. So they're going to let VR happen through the Facebooks, the Oculuses, and others. That'll work with a modern GPU that you can attach to your Mac. So that's a big deal for those devices. But AR is really where they're focusing from their own software efforts and the hardware around the phone. Which comes to this question, right? There seem to be less opening up to new areas, but doubling down in both Apple WWDC and Google I.O. this year. Does that mean that they will totally focus on their competitive advantages instead of trying to focus on what the other side do best? For example, there is a lack of Apple talking about Siri, but putting a lot more effort in hardware and then vice versa for Google, spending a lot more time in machine learning, but also focus less on Android and other areas within like hardware as well. Well, I, I think so. You, I mean, you, you make a point, which is you know they're they're focusing on entrenched areas, but but I think again, AR is a new area. It's just that they're doing it in a in a form factor with a device that really everybody has, right? Going back to the iPhone six. S, which is what AR kit will go back to supporting, and then with seven, and then eventually eight. I mean, you're talking, you know, more than a hundred million units in the market. The developers can go after. Like, if if we would have said, if the assumption was we're going to start with headsets, and Apple's going to have to release a AR headset, I mean, it would be years 
many, many years before that was even 20, 30 million units in the market. And so how, how interesting of a developer opportunity is it when there's tens of millions versus when there's hundreds of millions? So Apple's basically kickstarting or jumpstarting the entire augmented reality market for software development by saying we'll have 100 million units and eventually a lot more than that over the course of, of 12 to 24 months in the market capable of that software. We would have never had a timeline of that for hardware. And VR is the same way. VR is, again, it's a 10 to 20 million unit market in terms of installed base over the next few years. So if you're a developer... That's great, right? For because that's very similar to your hardcore gaming market installed base size. So that's great for people who want kind of hardcore gaming. But that's not mainstream. So Apple's taking AR mainstream by taking this approach versus doing it through a headset. So while they're doing something new, they're doing it in in a very familiar idea. And I think that's just a critical way to understand how they do things is that they don't they don't sort of come and Something like the Apple Watch, which was a, is a fascinating analysis in, uh, in and of itself, which was kind of the first time they did something pretty new very early in the cycle. Apple tends to kind of take this approach, which is let's do let's do something new, but let's do it in a way that people are already used to doing it today. And in this case, that's AR through the phone. My final question, I actually didn't bring it on to you now. So when we think about the Google I.O. and Apple WWDC conferences, these days, I think in most of the Apple events, they talk about China, which I don't think Google does. So where do you see the WeChat ecosystem? Because it sort of bypasses the operating system layer of both iOS and Android. Yeah, and, and I think that's that's no doubt an important observation about WeChat. But at the same time, you know, WeChat goes so far in the experience. In fact, I saw a stat today from, I actually don't know where it was from. I retweeted it from some of the TechCrunch writers that said, you know, in China, WeChat is about 30% of time spent on mobile using. So while that's huge, there's also a pretty big gap of where other stuff is happening. And, in, and WeChat's one app, but I also think, again, the growth of iOS apps in general. And, and honestly, I mean, to be honest with you, AR is going to be, I think, a pretty big differentiator for both iOS and iOS apps, software development, even things that WeChat can do with it is going to be really, really compelling for China. Because, you know, as you know, the, the Chinese market is big with things like QR codes. So they're already familiar with sort of having their phone, looking at an object, scanning it for information. And, and honestly, with AR, that's going to get a whole lot more interesting than just show me one QR code. I mean, you're going to be able to do that with physical objects that don't require a QR code. So Apple's going to be the one that that really drives it. So I think, honestly, ARKit and and the software that you're going to see on iOS is is only going to broaden this opportunity and possibly even sort of put some cracks in this kind of WeChat is the all things that everything that's all everybody does is on WeChat narrative that goes on in China. In fact, even with young people, we're starting to see evidence that WeChat has somewhat peaked in terms of its usage and might actually be declining as they start to go into other things, sometimes apps, other experiences, things like that with, with some of the younger millennials and beyond that in China. So I get the narrative, but I also think that there's some things that are, are, are bubbling up and, and uh, that go around from that. But I'm not honestly terribly worried about you know, Apple and China, I mean, I think they've they've maintained their strategy, which is the high-end market, no doubt, 
the Chinese consumers have been delaying their purchase of Apple smartphones just again because they're really expensive. You can't, you know, there's only a certain amount of percent of the Chinese population who can afford to buy, you know, a thousand dollar device every two years, let alone every year. So three years ish is about the cycle that, that we see. And expectations for this new lineup of iPhones is, is pretty heavy for China. And I think AR can and some of that stuff that's really going to differentiate the software is only going to make the case that much more compelling for not just Apple, but this sort of new lineup of phones. And again, even going back to the 6S is going to be able to support ARKit. And I think that's going to be a really, really big deal for the Chinese market as well, because I think they're sort of the closest to have already doing some of these things before already, whereas with the U.S., we don't do them at all yet. And so I think that, that this is going to be a great, a great story for China. So, you know, I, I think that, that, that understanding the role that WeChat plays as a platform is important, but I also think there's going to be a lot of opportunities outside of that that come particularly with ARKit and, and a lot of software that you're going to see on iOS that you're not going to get on Android. And of course, Ben, it's always a pleasure talking to you because I think when we talk about the Apple and the Android semiconductors, AR, VR, you're the guy I would surely talk to. So help my audience. How do they find you? Uh, easiest way is just on Twitter. I'm pretty active on Twitter, at Ben Beharin. Uh, you can read my stuff pretty regularly at TechPinions, which we have a, a subscription for as well, where you get multiple exclusive articles and analysis from me on a, on a weekly basis, but also really other smart smart authors as well and analysts uh, contribute to our subscription section. Our website's creativestrategies.com. It's got all of our research there as well, in case anybody is interested in that. But like I said, e- easiest way is Twitter, at Ben Beharin. You can find me at bleongcw.bernardleong.com. Subscribe to us at AnalyzeAsia, A-N-A-L-Y-S-E, Asia. You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Acast. And of course, tune in plus Google Play in the US market. Tweet to me, give us a five-star rating, recommend us on Overcast, and of course, drop me feedback from time to time. Once again, Ben, thank you for coming on the show. My pleasure. Anytime, Bernard.